All right, good morning, everybody. Christmas outfit number two. Yep. These shoes are not fast. These are heavy, heavy boots, but I love them. Yeah, yeah, that's perfect. Oh, yeah. Everybody kept asking me, how was your trip to Colorado? Oh, how was the travels? I was like, it's fine. I didn't hit any snow till my driveway of all, you know, 40 degrees in Fort Collins, Colorado to unload yesterday or day before, whatever it was. Easy, easy, easy. All right, this morning we'll be in Proverbs 18. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, Proverbs 18. This is... Uh, a father writing to his son, all this is wisdom from God or from the father to his son. And um, it's hard to go through these as fast as we're going through these because Proverbs are, you know, well, there's going to be 24 separate Proverbs in this one chapter. And here's what will happen to you. So let me get your attention right away as you will tune out probably throughout the service. Okay, it's expected. Because you'll hit a proverb that will resonate and God will begin to speak to you and you'll miss the next three or four. That's okay. Don't feel like, oh, I gotta focus, I gotta focus, I gotta No, let God take you down whatever road he's taking you by his Holy Spirit, because that's the one that he's trying to teach you today. The book of Proverbs is, there's 31 of them. And I encourage you to, if you have a quiet time, read a chapter a day every month. And in 12 months, you've gone through the, the, the book of wisdom 12 times, is the idea. Because not every day are you going to hit the same proverb. You may read it every 1st of November, December, January, whatever. But one of those proverbs in chapter 1 will hit you, and that's the one that God wants to speak to you. Any one of these proverbs can absolutely change your life. Any one of them, okay? And as we go through wisdom from God written by this man to his son, Expect that. God is going to pull one out for you or a couple of them out of this chapter for you to take and apply to your life in a very real way. Not just remember we heard about that one time, but you're really going to start to say, you know, I need to work on that in my life. It'll change everything. It's amazing. Um, the other thing I wanted to notice about this before we dive in, because we're about, well, we're halfway through, um, a little over halfway through, is that Although it's written by a king to his son, it is the Holy Spirit, our Father in heaven, writing this to us. And not every one of us in this room had a dad or a father that would impart wisdom like this to you as you grew up. Some of you did. I did. I didn't grab near as much. I probably grabbed a, a tenth of what I should have from my father if I'd have listened. But not everybody had that. Not everybody had a father that they even know of or remember. And that's one of the most amazing things about our God, is he replaces those missing pieces in your life. I never had a father like that. You, you had such a great advantage. You had a, a loving father and mother that raised you. I didn't have any of that. I didn't remember anybody. Nobody cared for me. God can replace that in your life and begin to repair that and make up in your life, what was lost, okay? It's what he does. He restores what the locusts have eaten. And he does that with everything. A lost loved one. I don't know how we'll ever get over that. He can fulfill that hole in your life with his love. He can restore sorrow to joy. He can change it to laughing, okay? So I just wanted to hit that before we go any further through this book of Proverbs. It isn't just a bunch of fortune cookies in the Christian version, you know, which is how sometimes we can read it. This is your Father in heaven filling in gaps, 
parts that you either missed from your own father sharing with you or parts you never received from a father in your life. But he wants to fill in those gaps. And so hear him, hear the father, hear your heavenly father this morning as he reads to you and shares with you his wisdom. Verse 1, a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. Isolation's not a good thing, you know. Any movie you've ever seen where there was a hermit up in the clouds, very socially awkward folk, you know. We need to hang out with one another so that we can see that awkwardness and maybe develop and see some faults of our own. It's a good mirror for us as we're talking to other people. The scripture that comes to mind is Hebrews chapter 10. We just hit this on Wednesday nights. It's in verse 24 and 25. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Satan wants to divide. He wants to compartmentalize everybody in the, in the Christian faith. He wants to keep you separate from the pack. You know That's what he does. That's what a predator does. He separates the weak and the ailing and the elderly from the pack so that he can take them out. Don't let him do that to you. And it's, this doesn't only get applied to, to church. You know, It's not me saying, so I better see you next week kind of thing. Although it may work for that, I don't know. You do need to fellowship with brothers and sisters in the Lord. This is a great time to do it, but there needs to be other times as well. And the reason why is that Hebrews telling us that it stirs up love and good works in us. We're around people that I hesitate to use the word accountable. I don't like that so much. And that's just me. You can use it all you want, of course. I'm not telling you it's, it's wrong. But if I'm not accountable to God, I'm certainly not going to be accountable to you. Okay? And if God's Holy Spirit is with me wherever I go and I take him into every situation and that doesn't bother me, it's certainly not going to bother me to not be accountable to you. So I don't know that that's a better version of the Lord being with you. That being said, when you put yourself in another brother or sister's presence, it, it's hard to sin. It's hard to not see your sin. It's hard to not experience, um, not pressure, but maybe a little bit of peer pressure, to move forward with the Lord as they talk about their walk with God and you know your turn's coming up and mm, I don't have much to say kind of thing. You know, you spur one another on to love and good works. I think that's good. Okay, So a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. Uh, two, a fool has no delight in understanding but in expressing his own heart. It's hard to listen. There was a professor um, here at the college. I don't know his last name. His first name's Bob. Some of you may know him. I can't think about it. I think a psychology professor. Does that ring a bell with anybody that's been around longer than me? Okay. His name's Bob. And here's what matters about Bob. I don't know Bob from Bob. Okay. But his car, his license plate says, listen. Bob Holcomb? Holcomb? Polkin. That's it. So what did he do? A speech professor? Listen, I saw that. Now, I don't know him. I'm very convicting driving behind his car, though. I'm looking at his license plate going, listen. I don't listen. I just knew it. I'm, Thanks, Bob. You know, and I moved on. What a great thing. If you're going to make a vanity plate, that's the furthest thing from vanity, isn't it? Listen. It's hard to listen to people. I want everybody to listen to me. That's why I have this fellowship here. No. I don't. It's hard. 
I, I don't appreciate it when I start to tell a story and they're just waiting for me to stop so they can tell me theirs. You know, oh, that ain't nothing, they say. Oh, okay, you know, thanks. That makes me feel great. You know, oh, your story's nothing. Listen to this. Okay. It's, I don't want to listen to their story. I don't like them anymore. They didn't want to listen to mine. No, it's hard to listen to people. It takes humility. It takes effort to not tune out, like right now, you know, kind of thing. To listen. It's hard. Ezekiel 3.7 says this. It gives us a little insight into our own hearts. But the house of Israel will not listen to you, the prophet, because they will not listen to me, for the Lord. For all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-hearted. Impudent and hard-hearted. That's a hindrance. Those two things are a hindrance to me listening to you and you listening to me. Listening to God is hindered by the fact that we're hard-hearted or impudent. Genesis 3.10. Fear is another one. So he said, this is e, e, or, uh, Adam, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. God's voice because he's righteous, because he's holy, can be a terrifying thing to hear. You know, Zacharias, when he's sitting there praying, offering up, you know, when he gets the word from God that he's going to have a son, John the Baptist, it's terrifying, you know. I don't necessarily want to see God. I want him to be present. I want him to be around me. But if I hear him, it means something's wrong, you know. There can be some fear. They never had fear before. It was only in their sin that they were afraid to hear God's voice. And they didn't want to hear him, and they hid themselves from him. They hid, and we can do that. When it comes to God's word, when it comes to God's people, when it comes to anything that has to do with a relationship with Jesus, when we're in sin, we can hide from him. I don't, I don't want to be there. I don't want to go there. I don't want to be around that. In fact, in John chapter 3, that's why... John says that's why people don't come to Christ. It's because they love the darkness. They don't want to come to that light. Listening is hard. Nobody wants to hear their upset father share things with them when they get home late or with a a damaged car or whatever it is. Nobody, no kid is looking forward to that conversation, but they have to understand the heart of the father as he's sharing. It's for your betterment that I'm about to talk to you and have a talking to you, you know, sit down and listen. Exodus chapter 20 is another time the people of Israel have left, they've left Egypt. They're being led around by Moses. God has brought them to the mountain. And it says this, as God was doing his lightning storm and thundering at the top of the mountain. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings and lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, the mountain smoking. When the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. When they saw the magnitude, the size, the scope of God's authority and reign, they stood afar off. It was scary to them. Then they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. Afraid, terrified. And Moses said to the people, trying to encourage them, no, he just says you can't stand on the mountain. He doesn't mean he doesn't want you to draw near. He's holy. You can't be in his presence because you're unholy. It won't work, but you can come this close. Then he says this, Moses said to the people, do not fear. This is amazing. If you ever wondered what it meant to have the fear of the Lord, this is one of the craziest statements in the scriptures. You can underline it if you want to. Listen how it's worded. 
And Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you that his fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. I don't want you to be afraid of God, but I do want you to have a fear of what he's saying to encourage you to walk in righteousness. So there's a fear we're supposed to have of God that draws us near to him, not to separate us from him, you see. His judgments are scary, but to draw us closer. I don't want those judgments. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. It's a choice. We can draw near to God or we can run from him. We can listen to God or we don't have to. That's what the Proverbs telling us. A fool has no delight in understanding but in expressing his own heart. I don't want to listen to God. I've got this down. I know what I'm doing. The final scripture for this is Acts 7, verses 57 through 58. Stephen has just given his, or is at the end of his discourse, sharing with the people who Jesus was and what they did to him, and they're not happy about it. Then they, the people Stephen was speaking with, cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their uh, clothes clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And get to the point where you just stop your ears. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear about my sin. I don't want to hear about my position. I don't want to hear about my rebellion. My backsliding, I don't want to hear it. And they run. And they stop their ears and they don't want to listen to the conviction of God in their lives. He's not convicting us because he hates us and wants to destroy us. He's a father. The conviction of the Holy Spirit in your life, first of all, proves that you're his son or daughter. If you didn't hear from God or you didn't feel convicted, then I'd be concerned. Because you're not his son or daughter. But if you are his son and daughter, you're going to experience that. There's a lot of wonderful things about being close to God. There's also a lot of terrifying things in my sin about being close to God. But it causes me to purify. And we want that. Or we should anyway. Verse 3. When the wicked comes, contempt comes also, and with dishonor comes reproach. The wicked have contempt for the righteous. As simple as that. The wicked have contempt for the righteous. They don't appreciate it. In the end, in the last days, men will call evil good and good evil. They have contempt for righteousness. Your righteous living, your desire to be a follower of Jesus, to be an example of Christ in this world, will be contemptible to them. They'll hate it. And with that will come dishonor, and they will reproach you because of it. It's to be expected. Verse 4, the words of a man... Or of a man's mouth are deep waters. The wellspring of wisdom is a flowing brook. Now that doesn't mean that everything I say, although it may feel deep to me, oh, it's just awesome truth you should all receive. No, not always. <laughs> a lot of it's just, well, bad. This is what he's talking about. Let's focus on what we can listen to. God's word flows and washes us. It flows and washes us. And the deeper we dig into God's word, the more we get. I mean, it's a well that can, you can continually drop your bucket down into, and you're going to get more and more and more and more. You'll never exhaust it. It's spring-fed. It's never going to run out. In Isaiah chapter 35, verses 5 through 7, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing. 
For waters shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The parched ground shall become a pool and the thirsty land springs of water. In the habitation of jackals where each lay, there shall be grass with reeds and rushes. God's word flows into our hearts, flows into our lives. Every time we read it, every time we pray, every time we have times like this even. And new life comes into us. New things begin to get restored. Things that were burned a long time ago begin to show signs of new life. That's one of my favorite times when, when everybody burns their fields. You know, first of all, I like the nighttime because that's a good time to do it. And they can see, you can see the glow and everything like that. You can see all that. It may not be fun to do, but I like to watch it. Greg, I think you guys like what you love doing that out there. They've got, they've got some CRP land. They have to do that too and everything. It's, it's really cool. Well, what's even more stunning is that black charred ground when those bright green shoots begin to show up through it. There's never been such a, a wonder, more wonderful contrast you know, to see that. Well, God wants to do that for our lives, and his word does that. It flows into our lives. John chapter 7, verse 38, He who believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So there's that in that inlet into our lives, God's word. And as we are changed and transformed and that new life is coming and we're being blessed by it, out of us comes that same rivers of living water to other people around us. It doesn't just stop with, it doesn't have to go just from God to, to you. It goes to, from God to you to others. It spreads that way, you know, as we share it. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 27. Here's the washing. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. That he, now that's capitalized because he's switching. Paul toggles in that Ephesians 5 between what a marriage should like, look like, but it, it represents God in the church or Jesus in the church. So he switches to he, Jesus, might sanctify and cleanse her, the bride, with the washing of water by the word, that he, Jesus, might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. God just pouring his word into you and cleansing us and washing us by his word. It's wonderful. Verse 5. It is not good to show partiality to the wicked or to overthrow the righteous in judgment. There's a short-term gain when the wicked bless the wicked. Righteousness is the long game for you. When we see the world begin to do that, begin to show partiality to the wicked, I think we see that more and more, um, especially recently, where justice just isn't served, justice isn't even sought after, um, lawlessness rules, lawfulness is looked down upon. Um, we can see that. And, and although that looks like compassions in the name of reparations or in the name of they're just hungry or in the name of whatever they want to say, the long term is horrible for the, for the world and for our country especially. It's not good to show partiality to the wicked or to overthrow the righteous in judgment. Verse 6, A fool's lips enter into contention, and his mouth calls for blows. He's a punch in the mouth is what God's saying. <laughs> a fool's mouth is his destruction, and his lips are the snare of his soul. Fools love to argue. They just do. They love it. They give you baiting questions, trying to pull you in, but that's just so that they can slaughter you. That's the only reason they're doing it. They have no desire to exchange wisdom with one another. They're only getting you to start the conversation so that they can destroy you. Fools just love to argue. They do. 
Their words, our words, can reveal our hearts and their hearts. If you just listen to people long enough, they'll begin to expose themselves. They don't mean to, but they can't help it. Out of the heart, out of the mouth comes the abundance of the heart. Always has, always will. It's very hard to conceal. And if they can conceal it, it's only for a time. Eventually it comes out. Eventually. Um, They tell on themselves is what I wrote down. Verse 8. The words of a talebearer are like tasty trifles. They go down into the inmost body. I put down I have three scriptures here. First Peter four eight, and above all the above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Not repeat it. Not repeat it. The words of a talebearer. A talebearer can be a lie. It can be a falsehood, but it can also be just someone else's truth. Sin doesn't always need to be shared. Just because you saw it or just because it was revealed to you doesn't mean you need to reveal it to everybody. You're not called to be newscasters. We're not called to uh, be broadcasters of other people's lives. You have to be very careful about that. I'm guilty. I don't mean to say you. It's us. Uh, Previously in Proverbs 10, 12, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. Proverbs 17, 9, just last week. And he who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates friends. Be careful about that. Oh, I just, I probably shouldn't tell you. Well, if you have to start off a conversation with that, you probably shouldn't tell them. You know, you're saying it yourself. That's what I mean by telling, telling on yourself. I don't want to gossip, but <laughs> you are. You're about to gossip. If you have to say, I don't want to gossip, but you're going to gossip, yee, that, ooh, you know. That was a zipper. I don't know, button. I don't know. If you have to, if you have to say that, just, just don't. Just don't. Verse 9. He who is slothful in his work is a brother to him who is a great destroyer. God considers laziness the work of a destroyer. Laziness is theft. You're living off of other people's work. Laziness is selfish. You live for yourself and for your comfort. Laziness is neglect of duty. You don't do what you should. And these things, it's easy to apply to work and money, you know, but this can be spiritual too. It can be spiritual. I think that's important. I can be lazy in my spiritual walk with God. Eh, you know, eh, I don't know. I don't have time. Well, sometimes we think that our Maybe look at it this way. Your quiet time is for everybody else you're going to run into that day. How's that? It's for everybody else. And when I refuse to have my time with God first, time of prayer, time of remembering that I'm a Christian, everybody else is going to suffer for that. It's just laziness on my part. It's the idea. Verse 10. The name of the Lord, could you put that scripture up for or that picture up? You guys like pictures, so I, I started doing these more. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. Lots of names. I I cut the list off because the picture looked better that way. But there's so many. Elohim, the God of Creator, the God, the Creator. Uh, That one. El Elion, God Most High. El Shaddai, God Almighty. Adonai, my Lord. Jehovah Yahweh, the personal name of the Lord. The neat things, and it goes on. Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rafi, Jehovah Nisi. All these different things. 
The Lord's name is a strong tower. When we remember who God is for us, some people take this scripture to mean just Jesus. You know, if I just use Jesus like an incantation, like some kind of spell, if I put Jesus at it, at the end of it, that, that makes everything disappear, makes everything well. Well, not really. When we say in the name of Jesus at the end of our prayers, which is a habit that we do, which is a good one, it's in the nature of Christ is what that means. In the name of Jesus, in his nature, that's what I'm praying. You see, so I have to be careful how I pray because can I pray it in the nature of Jesus or do I use it like an incantation or like a little, you know, exclamation point in Jesus name. And because I said Jesus, now it has to be done. No, it needs to be prayed in the nature of Jesus is the idea. And so his name is a strong tower for us. The righteous run to it and are safe. He's, he's all these things. He's almighty. He's the most high. He's the creator. He's my Lord. All these things. He's my provider. I run to those things. That's my strength. Because he's going he's gonna, to um, contrast this with what the world thinks. In verse 11, the rich man's wealth is his strong city. And like a high wall in his own esteem. Money can be a dangerous thing. Paul had to learn to be abased. And I think that's what most of us maybe struggle with here in America. Because we're not poor. We say we're poor, but we're not. Um, oh, I've got to learn how to do without. It's almost harder to learn how to do with. With everything, you know. Um, I mean, you could look at all the lottery winners. And it's, they don't have a great success right now. A lot of it is intellect or lack of. But most of them can't handle it. They don't know what to do with all of that. And, or they do know what to do with all of it, and it's a disaster. They only bring... See, if I'm taking $25 a week to bring sin into my life, if God gives me $25,000 a week, I'm just going to bring $25,000 worth of sin into my life. That's the idea. I don't know how to differentiate. I don't become righteous with the more money, is the idea. So this wealth... It can be a rich man's strong city. It's my protection. It's everything. I'm going to try to get rid of that, um, that, that, that trust level in money and in stuff. Okay? I'm, I'll, I'll take you through it. Matthew 13, 22. It's, it's the parable of the sower, and this is one of the things that causes the Word of God to not grow in a person's life. Okay? Now he who received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. My desire for more money, my desire to grab more, to get more to it can actually choke out the fruit that God would have in my life because I've chosen to seek after something else. Money in the bank, cash. It's not. It's digital, and in fact, with the recent bank crash in Silicon Valley, there are still companies trying to recover their accounts. Millions were lost, vanished with the stroke of a, well, with a shutting down of a bank. It's gone. There's insurance up to 250000 per account, but there were millions in those accounts. Pennies on the dollar for some of those companies. I got money in the bank. Maybe, maybe. The point is, it can be taken away, okay? Good. Then I've got cash in the mattress. Well, we don't want to talk about fires, but 
Let's assume that your house survives and you just have stacks and stacks of cash in your deep freeze down in there. Some are like, I've got to move the cash out of the deep freeze, honey. He knows about it. Well, if everything goes south, if the whole world crashes and you walk out of your house with cash, I don't want your paper. It's worthless. Everything you stored is absolutely gone and worthless, but you've got paper. You could burn it maybe for some heat, but it's worthless. Okay, cash. So convert that cash into commodities, things people will want in the apocalypse. You know, I make fun of a lot of people, but especially some of these peaceful preppers, you know. And maybe you're one of them, and I don't mean to hurt your feelings. Well, I do. I'm going to hurt your feelings. But me and three of my friends with 308s, a four-man fire team with 100 rounds each, we're going to take everything you have. I don't have to store up anything. The stronger will take from the weaker. And if you're going to be the peaceful person that thinks we're all going to be living in communes and I'm going to, I'm going to do dental work and, and he's going to be the doctor and I'm going to be the gardener, you know, kind of thing. And then my four-man firing team comes in and says, you're my doctor, you're my dentist, and you're my farmer. I take everything. It's, it's not feasible. Nothing in this world. And I'll give you an example. You, this isn't biblical. This is weird. It's absolutely biblical. It's Gideon's story. This is the story of Gideon. In the book of Judges, the nations around Israel owned them. They had to pay tribute every year. They would come down and they would steal the crops right after harvest and say, thanks, you can keep 10% to keep alive since you can plant my crops for next year. Every year they would do this. That's why Gideon is threshing in the valley. There's no wind in the valley. You're supposed to be on top of the mountaintops threshing so that they can throw the grain up and the wind blows the chaff away and the good grain lands back down. You get that all fixed. He's doing it down in the valley. He's scared to death. Doesn't want anybody to see. He's going to go hide it, you know. What made Gideon strong? God. God says, I want you to take a trumpet, a torch, and a jar. That's what I'm going to use to defeat your enemies. A trumpet, a torch, and a jar. What about our swords? You're not going to need them. Because I'm with you. We've got to remove all of this. This wealth that we think we have or that we think we're going to contain or, or, or hold on to through any trying or difficult times can all be removed unless God is with you. That's the only thing. God has got to be your strong tower. He's got to be the one that we take refuge in. Gideon and his 300 men were able to defeat all of the armies that were against them simply because they scared them and God brought confusion. God was the strength. Money in the bank will vanish. Money at home is worthless. Your commodities, just a stronger man's commodity. That's all it is. Gideon, he's our example. Verse 12, before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty. And before honor is humility. That's a very simple proverb. Be humble. Verse 13. He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. This is where we get jumping to conclusions. You know? I think sometimes, and this, God will build on this. We're going to see this again in verse 17, provided we have time to get there. I think we will. But this hearing a matter from a friend 
It almost seems to us, I'm trying to analyze why I agree with people so quickly without hearing the other side of the story. It's because I don't want them to think that I'm disloyal to them. Your word's good enough for me. If you say they're horrible people, probably are. Let's go get them. I don't know what they did, but I'm with you, you know, kind of thing. Blood, family, you know. That's not wise. And it's not disloyal to say, that's interesting. That's interesting. I'd like to hear the other side of the story, though. Let's, let's get every, everything coming. You know, because sometimes the person who's sharing with you, their perspective is skewed. Or they don't know the whole story. They only know half the story. And part of being one of the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God, is talking to the other side and saying, can you share? Now, just because you took the time to hear both sides doesn't mean your friend wasn't right. It could mean that they were right. You heard the other side, and they're like, yeah, you're right. He is a creep. You know, I mean, you could agree. But get that other side so that you're not the fool in the story. Changing sides, saying, why you didn't tell me that? Well, I didn't think that was pertinent to this. It's very pertinent to the story, you know. Getting both sides isn't disloyal. It's wise. And we'll hit this again in verse 17. Verse 14, the spirit of a man will sustain him in sickness, but who can bear a broken spirit? That's the hardest part. God doesn't even protect us from brokenheartedness. Uh, but he does protect us from a broken spirit, you see. I don't mind my kids having a broken heart. Uh, That can be repaired, and that is a part of our walk in this world. But a broken spirit is not of God, ever, 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 ever. We're never to have that. He's a repairer of the breach. He's, he lifts us up. He makes us stronger. He doesn't do that. A broken heart, that happens. Everybody who loses a loved one has a broken heart, and God can repair that and work with that, but it's part of it. Jesus wept at Lazarus' funeral, you know, as he comes up to the tomb. That's part of it, but not a broken spirit. That's something that can't be repaired. We need to have that intact. God wants to keep that intact. Verse 15, the heart of the prudent acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. Um. Again, back to that someone who's uh, telling you their side of the story that we read earlier, verse 13. This is part of that. It's a prudent person that decides to see all the angles of it and understand the whole situation, getting a bird's eye view, praying about it, you know, getting God's perspective and understanding on the situation. Verse 16, a man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. Now, he is talking about a gift, uh, a tangible thing you're giving to somebody, not like a talent that you have, but a gift. I guess I suppose David's harp playing or guitar playing or whatever he played uh, could be considered a gift that he played for Saul and it brought him into that core, but I don't think that's necessarily what he's talking about here. I think he's talking about gift, the opposite of a bribe. Okay, there's a difference between the two. A gift expects nothing in return. It's just a gift. The gift of God right? What's the gift of God? Grace, everlasting life. It's a gift. We can't give anything back. It's not a bribe for us to love him. It's a gift. He loved us first. And our response should be love back, but it isn't a bribe. A bribe expects favor. In fact, we just hit this last week in this form. It says this gift is different from the present in verses uh, 5 of chapter 17 of Proverbs. There was a gift given that could cause favor, you know, kind of thing. That's a bribe. That's different. That's different. A gift shows the heart of the person this kind of uh, 
this kind of gift from 17.5 shows a bribe. Those are, there's, a, there's a heart difference there. And you know the difference. You, you can tell someone who just gave it to you because they love you. You can tell those that are, now don't forget I gave this to you, you know, kind of thing. That's a, that's a harder thing to, to deal with. Anyway, a man's gift makes room for him. People are more open to those who are open people or generous people, you know. They're safe people. Verse 17, the first one to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. This is the other side of the story. It seems right. You ask me when I've been wronged, I'm going to sound like the guy on the white horse in this story. I'm always the guy with the white hat. I never say, you know, I probably shouldn't have done this, but I did it anyway. You, right? You would have too. No, you tell it in such a way that it puts you in, in a good light. So the first one to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. So hearing both sides. In Proverbs twenty six seventeen, He who passes by and meddles in a quarrel not his own is like one who takes a dog by the ears. We'll get to that in a few weeks. So there's a balance here. Maybe they come to you because they want you to be a mediator. Okay, I'll do my best to mediate, but I'm going to be in the middle, and I'm going to hear both sides. It's a very safe and uh, prudent place to put yourself. On the other hand, if you're walking by a quarrel and you decide to get in on it, proverb writer here tells us it's like taking a dog by the ears. You're going to get bit. You're going to get bit. It may not be the wisest thing for you. Verse 18. Casting lots causes contentions to cease and keep the mighty apart. Now, they're talking about, uh, you know, well, I don't know what we're supposed to do. Let's flip a coin. There's more to it than that. The writer here is talking about mediation. I think that goes right along with what we've been talking about in this entire proverb. There's mediation. Um, in, uh, in real estate, we have uh, at times have to go to mediation between realtors because there's a commission split dispute or something. And although we can go to lawsuit, it's better to go to mediation first. That needs to be tried first and foremost. So you bring in a, an impartial person, um, someone from the NAR, you know, National Association of Realtors will come in and sit down, and they don't care about either of you. They're not even from the state. And they'll listen to both sides of the story. They'll look at all the documentation, who really had the client, who had verbally the client, who had someone in, something in writing. You can go through all those things. And the mediator can say, hmm and you sign papers before you start, I will agree with the mediator's decision, okay? And that almost brings more peace to it because they're, they're able to look at it and say, look, you, you said you spoke to him on the phone, but right after that, he's got something in writing here, and they signed that he's their client. So it doesn't matter what you think you had. This is tangible, and this is legal. And so then there's this, okay, all right, well, you may not like the decision, but it brings things down a level, okay? Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it actually talks about this. We don't talk about this at, hardly at all in our church. I've only had to do this twice, to be the mediator. But as a body of Christ, we're called to that. And for me, I always cling to that last one. It's like taking a dog by the ears. I don't want to, you'd figure it out, you know. You brothers go ahead and go to the back there somewhere. I don't know, figure it out. But I don't want to be a part of it necessarily. But that's not what leadership does. So here's what it says. Paul writes to the Corinthian church, Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? You're actually going to sue them and go to a worldly court, a Babylonian court, and not talk about it in the church instead? 
I'm reluctant to read this because I don't want to do it, but it's part of it. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? Why do you put the world over you? I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one who will be able to judge between his brethren, but brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. First of all, it's a bad witness. But second of all, you should be, be, be able to handle this in the church. So, that really should be our first step. There's a mediation that takes place. Hey, I want you to hear both sides. Now, here's the thing. Oftentimes, when you have that dispute between two people, and one says, let's take it before some brothers in the Lord, and let's talk about it. Whoever was wrong usually says, never mind, now it's all right, you can have it. It gets handled, you know, because they know. If I talk to another brother or sister about what we just went through, I know, I know the right thing to do here is. I just don't like it, you know. And so it takes care of things of itself. Anyway, the proverb is this, casting lots causes contentions to cease and keeping the mighty apart. Mediation is a good thing. Verse 19, a brother offended is harder to win than a strong city. And contentions are like the bars of a castle. Estrangement is difficult. It's very difficult to repair. It's hard. Um, I own my own uh, offenses when I offend somebody because of my personality. I try to anyway, if I know about them anyway. But when it comes to righteousness, if it comes to God's word and it's offensive, I accept that estrangement. If people don't like what God's word says or the conviction that they feel, I don't change God's word or we don't change what the Holy Spirit shows us to, to share because somebody might be offended by it. You can't. You can't do that. And in fact, a lot of the world is doing that. A lot of churches are doing that. They're, they're compromising and catering. Um, nobody leaves offended. Well, no, you don't want someone estranged. We don't want them destroyed. We don't want their spirit broken, but we do want conviction. I do want God's word to be the judge of me, and I, I don't want to tailor it so that I'm never, so I never feel that conviction. That's a hard thing. So he, I don't know that he's telling us to avoid it altogether. He's just simply giving us the facts and giving his son the facts. When a brother is offended, it's harder to win that back. So avoid it at all possible, if at all possible, because it's very hard to repair, repair that estrangement. Years. It takes years to, to build back up again. So avoid it altogether if you can, but not at the expense of truth. Okay, so again, no compromise in those areas. Verse 20. A man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth. From the produce of his lips he shall be filled. filled. Um, then, I, I don't know what that means, really. I mean, except that some people can make their money from... I get, you know, I, I put down this verse, but I don't know that it's the greatest verse for it. 1 Corinthians 9, 3 through 7. It's just Paul telling the Corinthians that a pastor can make money, you know, kind of thing. So it's a little self-serving for me to use that this morning. I can make money from doing this this morning if I want to. Well, sort of, you know. He's saying that, and I think this is the bigger issue, whatever you say, you're going to eat. It's either going to be sustaining or it's going to destroy you. 
You know, if I live and have a, you know, my life with a mouth of wickedness, I'm going to eat that wickedness and it's going to kill me from the inside out. Live a life of righteousness, I'm going to have life and I'm going to grow and strengthen, you know. So maybe that's a better way to put it. Verse 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. Um, Boy, if we can tame our tongue, like James says, that's a good thing. Use wise words. Uh, Those who are careful uh, with what they hear and believe, um, they're going to live a long life. Be careful what fruit you eat. Okay, A uh, good tree bears good fruit, and a bad tree bears bad fruit. So watch that. Verse 22. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. That's fitting for this weekend as Pastor Aaron and, and Leah got married uh, yesterday. I was kind of bummed I missed it, but it, I was helping somebody else at the time, but it sounded like a great wedding. So he who finds a wife finds a good thing. Aaron found a good thing, and, and well, so did Leah. Um, and if you're watching, hey, enjoy your honeymoon. Um, Genesis 2, verses 18, 22 through 25. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And then he does. In verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh And they were both naked, and the man and the wife were not ashamed. It's a good thing to find a wife. It's a good thing. 23. Wait, I should probably elaborate on that a little bit. It's fine to find a good wife, but let's be the best wives we can be, and let's be the best husbands we can be, okay, along with that. Because just finding someone who brings terror into your life or horror into your life isn't always great. So be the best wife, Anna, you can be to (laughs) she's sitting there. She didn't have to sit there. Be the best you can be. Dylan, be the best husband you can be, you know, to your, to your spouses. Same with you, Aaron and Leah watching you guys out there. Verse 23, the poor man uses entreaties, but the rich answers roughly. Mm. Some people don't know how to be rich. They think they do, but they don't. They become prideful. And it comes across in the way they conduct themselves and the way they treat other people. It's dangerous. Um, There's false piety oftentimes in rich Christians. And uh, when it's pushed beyond that uh, person who has it, its capacity, the result is an outrage. There's a a bursting that takes place. Um, We have to be careful about that. Humility can only uh, be falsified for so long. We need to learn to abound. Learning to abound, learning how to be wealthy as a Christian, learning how to be generous, learning how to be that kind of person as a Christian, and to remain humble and not better than or above, you know, economically than all the other people. Um, That's a very dangerous thing. Um, Anyway, a poor man uses entreaties, but a rich person answers roughly. They don't have to be diplomatic. They've got money, is the idea. They don't have to be humble. They've got money, is the idea. You've got to be careful about that. And finally, verse 24, a man who has friends must himself be friendly. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. So there's two kinds of friends here he's talking about. There's friends that you have because you're friendly. And then there's friends who are friends whether you're friendly or not. That's important. 
We want to be those kind of people. Now, if I want friends, I need to be nice to people. You know, that's if I wanted friends. No, I'm, if you want friends, you got to be nice to people, and uh, that's important. But I want to be that kind of friend that it doesn't matter if you're friendly to me or not. I'm still going to be there. I'm still your friend. I don't throw you out because I didn't like what you said or because I didn't, uh, you, you, know, you didn't do what I thought you should do. Welcome to brotherhood. You know. Welcome to sisterhood. Brothers and sisters don't separate. The reason that's why he uses that as an example, you know. Brothers and sisters don't separate because they had a bad day with each other or because they had a bad season with each other. That's not a friend. That's not a brother. That's not a sister. We want to have that. A friendship that cannot tolerate us was never really a friendship. That's important. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We want to be those kind of people. Lord. We do want to be friendly. Um, we, we do want to be, though, the kinds of friends that don't need friendliness from the other side. We want to be closer than that. We want to be more than that. We want to be like brothers and sisters, bound by our love for you, bound by your blood, Jesus, in our lives. Lord, I pray that you take every one of these Proverbs that we heard this morning, every one of them that spoke to our hearts individually, that really jumped off the page at us, and I pray you help us to apply those to our lives, that your Holy Spirit would help us to use those, to change our behavior, to change our countenance, to change our, our attitude, our, our everything, the way we walk with you. We want your word to change us this morning. Lord, we thank you for that, God. We want that. I pray that you bless these people today. I pray that you bless their their trip home. I pray that you bless them. I know there's snow coming tomorrow. Give them safety for all of that and and that uh, they'd be able to enjoy as much as they can enjoy snow. Um, And I just pray that you bless their week. Lord, give us opportunities to use your word this week in our regular lives that we might be a blessing to those we encounter. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Glad to pray with you.